The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 94. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who, all of the deeper meanings and hidden layers. And today, finally, finally, we're discussing the first episode of the 13th Doctor, titled The Woman Who Fell to Earth. And woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, woohoo! Uh, is, uh, is how we uh, cheer as Doctor Who fans. Uh, uh, joining me today on the panel. Some of us. Folks, don't stop the, the, the podcast. Just keep listening. I'm sure it'll get better. I'm sure. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, how's it going, Dom? Excellent. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. Uh, how you doing, Dom? Good, good. Okay, before we get started, folks, I want to just take a second to recommend something to you, uh, to a podcast to subscribe to. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. That's uh, another podcast that Jimmy and I do. Um, that's uh, a podcast where we look at the at mysteries, supernatural and natural, anything that's strange, odd, makes you wonder. And we do it from the perspectives of both faith and reason. Um, if you're old enough, you remember Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of, sort of like that. If you're a little younger, uh, you remember, oh, uh, what was the show with? Uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries with uh, Stack. Uh, and I always forget that one because I, I was a little, I missed that. Anyway, we uh, recently, episodes we've discussed, uh, Bigfoot. Ghosts, Area 51, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Watergate, the Pyramids of Egypt, and more. It's It's been a blast. People are loving it. And if you haven't been listening yet, check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Uh, this this is a big hit podcast, you, and you want to listen because it's a Ooh. lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to Sounds make. It's a lot of fun to listen to. Sounds great. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've, been, I've been enjoying it. Matter of fact, the other day I when I did my... Uh, exercise my jogging i listened to the dead sea scrolls episode and that was great <laughs> yep. great companion as i was running <laughs> oh and, awesome and uh even my wife listens to it and she doesn't listen to any podcast so that's wow she doesn't listen to my <laughs> podcast so she, she that's a good endorsement <laughs> so uh also just again before we get started please remember to like secrets of dark who on facebook we have a great facebook page there lots of great uh, community and conversation uh, please retweet the episodes on Twitter. Leave us comments. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app. Or now you can listen to it on YouTube. We have it as a YouTube audio movie. Um, and when you do subscribe on YouTube, hit the bell uh, to get notifications. And then share your, this podcast with your friends. Hey, this new season is just starting. A lot of new people are going to be coming in to check out Doctor Who because of all the hype about it. Um, and they're going to want to have a podcast where they hear some good discussion about what's going on and, and historically how it fits within the rest of Doctor Who. So please recommend the podcast. Help us grow our audience. That's how we grow is by your recommendation. All the preliminaries are over. New Doctor Who. Um, hate, loved it or hated it? Or somewhere in the middle? Uh, Jimmy, just your first impression. 
Uh, I wouldn't say loved or hated, but I enjoyed it, basically. I thought that uh, Jodie Whittaker was uh, fine as the doctor, the way she was portrayed in this episode. Uh, I had some concerns about the way she would be portrayed, but so far they're doing okay with her. I had some, some, you know, minor criticisms of the episode, but basically I enjoyed it. I thought it were off to a good start and it had a number of good qualities. Okay. Father Corey, your initial impression? I, I'm pretty much to the same line. You know, I very much enjoyed it uh, for a first uh, post-regeneration episode. You know, we've reviewed a lot of them and we've seen yeah. good ones and we've seen bad ones. I'd say this is probably one of the better post-regeneration yeah. episodes. I think it's a good, especially when they made their stated intent to be a, not really a, like a soft reboot almost, you know, like, yeah. a, 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 you know, a renewal of the series. I think they did a good job of that. And we'll talk some of that, you know, but yep. I think they did a good job of kind of, bringing people back into the series again. Yeah. You don't have to have a lot of, uh, uh, of knowledge about the series to, to get started in it, uh, here. Um, my impression is, is mostly favorable. Um, all regeneration stories are rough. I mean, we've, we've, we've just got through in this podcast, we watched all of the regeneration stories and talked about them. Um, and this is, um, you know, it's a, it's a good one. The, uh, post regeneration story. Uh, at least she doesn't choke the her companion like the sixth yeah. doctor did. Um, <laughs> right. So that's a that's doesn't a bar. Try to kill anybody. So <laughs> we're off to a good start. That's right. Um, I feel like uh, Jodie Whittaker. She's feeling her way into who she is now, like as a doctor. So the the doctor regenerated is now kind of feeling her way into what it means to be the doctor. She's she's certainly different. Um, that she is a woman is integral to her. But it doesn't. They they aren't making a big deal about it at the moment. Not like a big statement. Well, they're really minimizing it. I mean, at first yeah. she doesn't even notice that she's a woman. She's forgotten that fact. Right. And 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 then at the end, it's like, oh, I haven't bought women's clothes in ages. Uh, and <laughs> right. so they really don't make a point of it other than that, um, which was good because you know mm -hmm. casting. Uh, the first female doctor after more than 50 years of this being an exclusively male part is something that raised a lot of questions about, you know, are we going to get a lot of PC social justice warrior stuff in this now? Because Doctor Who has something of a reputation for kind of being infected with that kind of stuff and kind of preaching at the audience rather than just mm -hmm. entertaining. Um, and what there was a potential here of really going in that direction and making it, I am woman doctor, hear me roar <laughs> and, and alienating a bunch of the audience and what they needed to do. And what I was afraid they wouldn't do is have her be the new Patrick Troughton of she's just so likable mm -hmm. that it's okay. We, we can get over, you know, the previous trend. Uh, like when William Hartnell left the show as the very first doctor, and Patrick Troughton came in for this huge change in the show. This is, in terms of the Doctor's character, this is the biggest change since Patrick Troughton, um, you know, switching the gender entirely. And because that's going to affect a bunch of the dynamics on the show. And you need the first person in that role to just be super likable and super friendly, which is what Patrick Troughton did. And it enabled the show to have another 50 years of life. And it's also what Jodie uh, Whittaker needs to do and just come across as fun, super likable, and let's have adventures now. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about with her is that she feels a little bit um, 
to me, you know, in my limited experience compared to you guys with the, the, the classic doctors, she has a feel sort of like um, Sylvester McCoy a little bit, a little bit mm-hmm. of Patrick Troughton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's uh, some whimsy and joy, but not as much as not over the top as whimsy like Matt Smith. Right. Um, right. Uh, she's a little more grounded and, and like a little bit closer to maybe oh. how David Tennant portrayed it. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, David Tennant. You know, I, 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 well, that was one of my key, one of the things I really noticed, especially at the very end where, you know, it finally clicks who she is. Um, very, that very much sounded like a Matt Smith thing, the way she expressed what happened. And, you know, it's like, oh, yes, you know, the, the adrenaline and upset, outrage sounded very Matt Smith, but not as manic. Right, you know, right. Matt Smith could get extremely manic. I mean, that that scene where he's hanging from the TARDIS <laughs> as the TARDIS is burning and everything. I mean, he just that was that was who he was. He would get very manic. And she's got the joy. She's got the excitement, the energy. She's not but, zany. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. She's also yeah. unlike Matt, unlike David Tennant. She's not angry, at right, least right. thus far. Right. Right. You know, and, and kind of going back to the whole whole issue of this change from a you know male male dominated role to to a female actor. That's I think they if they keep this balance like they did in this episode, I think they're going to be perfect. And we we pointed that out a couple of weeks ago, uh, which we recorded a few months ago, a couple of months ago. <laughs> right. But I had to go back and listen to it. But you know, we pointed out that you know don't deny it. Don't deny that this act this character is now female. But at the same time, don't slap us in the face with it. Right. Yeah. And I think they had the right balance where, again, you know, you mentioned, Jimmy, where, you know, the first time it's brought up, she's like, oh, I'm a woman. Does it suit me? Yeah. You know, that does was it funny. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh, that's right. I forgot. You know, her, half an hour ago. Was, oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> half an hour ago. I was a white haired Scotsman. Yeah. You know? um, in, and that's the term- right balance. I think yeah. that's the, the, the right balance. I didn't like that line about, oh, it's been a while since I. Since I bought women's clothes, it's like, uh, really? When? Why? <laughs> well, you know? okay, granddaughter Susan, you know, for True, his wife, but, for but his daughters. Dad's occasionally they, have to they buy have girls' done clothes. This, they have done that kind of that hint that maybe possibly the doctor had been a woman once before in previous seasons. But they always yeah. kind of threw it out as a little teaser hint, but really never filled it out. And I was just, I, it's, I'm kind of leery that they're going to try to keep going that way. Because supposedly I, we know all the doctor's regeneration. Well, they, but, yeah, they've really nailed it down that, I mean, that we know all of the regenerations unless they do some real major retconning. So yeah. I would, I, I think that's just kind of a wink to the audience. It's like, interpret this line however you want, but it is consistent right. with, with established canon. Right. Right. And I, I, I agree I, with you. It could very well be, you know, talking about, you know, for Susan, for, yeah. Or just so trying to be this. funny. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with you, Father. In terms of the doctor, I think they've got the balance right. Um, I'm. I think they need to do a little bit of tweaking with the companions, though. I would agree with that as well. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's get into the show itself then, uh, and talk about the companions as we as we get into the show, because there's some things I want to kind of uh, uh, pull out from the story that will I think will help us talk about the companions. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, by, by the way, yeah. before we do that, we should even mention the title. The woman uh, who fell to Earth. I was just about to um, actually bring that up, right? So, so obviously, you know, she literally falls to Earth and crashes through the roof of a train, 
and survives because she's regenerating, but they right. don't mm-hmm. spell that out for us. Right. Um, but the title is based on The Man Who Fell to Earth, which was a 1963 science fiction novel by Walter Trevis that's quite famous and got made into two movies, uh, including one featuring David Bowie. Hmm. There's also a, a, a another meaning, a, I guess a third meaning to The Woman Who Fell to Earth, which is based on the opening sequence and the end. Um, so just to kind of to kind of set the, the scene as, as you guys have seen it, uh, we get no opening, no titles. It's BBC on the screen, then straight into the, a YouTube video of Ryan, Ryan Sinclair, the first uh, companion we're introduced to, um, talking about the, the greatest woman he's ever known. And we're led to believe it's the doctor. Uh, but at, by the end of the episode, we realize he's talking about his nan, his grandmother, who dies in the course mm-hmm. of things. And I think that's the other meaning of the woman who fell to earth, because, of course. Oh, she also falls. She yeah, falls. Her, right. It's her fall from the crane that kills her. And so she falls to earth. And I think I think it's I think it's saints. You know, I think it's upending our our uh, our expectation. expectations about what mm-hmm. the what this the show is going to be about. And it kind of upends that idea where we've we've talked about this before, where the doctor bestride the galaxies. He's the greatest man who ever lived. And, you know, this yes. whole, uh, you know, ego boost of the doctor. And I think it's kind of deflating it a little bit by saying maybe maybe the people around the doctor aren't going to say you're the greatest. They're, they're going to have, a, you know, other yeah. people who are great to them. And I, I, that was something else I wanted to comment on. I really like the fact, and I have it in my notes for the episode, that the doctor is no longer the strutting, arrogant person that the last mm-hmm. four doctors were. Is The doctor is much more back in the mode of, I'm not too big for my britches, I'm just right. a traveler. Right. And well, that is so refreshing. It was, it was, you could see kind of that contrast where, you know, they're the companion doctor and the companions are standing in front of the the tentacle alien thingy, the, the gathering data court. device, gathering yep. device as uh, Tim Shaw is coming at them. And, you know, <laughs> we're going to stop you. Well, I guess you can have it if you want. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, she's, she's getting you know kind of puffed up. And as soon as he takes a step, she pushes the companions back and lets him have it. Yeah. Right. But uh, another related thing, you know, it, it, since. The show got revived in 2005. It's had this mythic feel to it that has introduced an air, uh, kind of an unrealism to the show. Mm-hmm. And that was there in the Russell T. Davies era where you had these, you know, like you think about like the planets with the cat people and stuff and these glorious new, 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 New York and stuff. And <laughs> it's all big and huge and and kind of fantasy like. And then mm-hmm. when when. uh uh, Stephen Moffat became showrunner. It went even more in that direction and went science fairy tale, not just science mm-hmm. fantasy, but science fairy tale, where like right from the 11th hour with Amy Pond being introduced, you have this total fairy tale vibe. And that wasn't the classic series. The no. classic series was not like that. And and this is much more the feeling of the classic series that you don't have the legendary fairy tale vibe. The doctor is just a traveler, not this mythic grounded. figure. Yeah. It's more grounded. The science is more, I mean, it's still mm-hmm. fiction, but it's more realistic than it was. Even the visual effects look more realistic. 
right. than they did. They're not painting with these, you know, pastel canvas special effects. It's even, you know, the crackling of the electricity and the coil and the darkness and everything, it feels much more realistic and much more grounded. Well, and I really like that. That was one of my desideratum for this uh, series. Mm-hmm. Well, I know they changed... Um they change a lot of things, you know, not yeah. just not just, you know, the actors and everything. But, yeah, the visual effects that that is being done by a different crew, a different mm-hmm. company, um, how they film it film, I think, in quotes, because I think it's all digital now. Um, it's been for a while, but, you know, it, it's they're they're doing a very different tone and it, it definitely has a different tone. At least this episode mm-hmm. yeah. looks and feels different. It looks a lot more. Someone, I, I think it was on actually on our Facebook page, commented it looked more like a gritty crime drama yeah. that you'll see from the BBC now. Right. Something like Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, gee, who was involved in that? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Chibnall. I was going to say, I was gonna say it feels a lot more like the X-Files or Fringe did. You know, so they, they mm-hmm. both dealt with supernatural or, or extraterrestrial uh, activities in science fiction. But they felt more grounded and and grittier, uh, and and that's how this felt. It, the, from both both the 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 close in shots where they had the the talking, but even establishing shots where like the far off pictures of like a, of the van driving through Sheffield and and other things like that, it felt much more grounded. Uh, and hey, let's give a, a shout out to some you know filming someplace other than uh, Cardiff or London. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out to Sheffield, folks. Uh, it was nice yep. to see. Um, it, I got to say, the Peaks District looks beautiful. Uh, say that right there. That's looked like an amazing uh, n- park, the national park they have there. Yeah, the national park that's right outside of Sheffield. There, yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> let's talk about some of the companions then as they get introduced. So Ryan gets introduced, and we have Ryan who has a uh, a disease called dyspraxia, which is a yeah. coordination disorder, um, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a real thing, uh, and he's unable to. He's 19 years old, unable to ride a bicycle. And his grandmother, uh, Grace, who he calls Nan, and her grand his grandmother's husband, Graham, uh, uh, who he won't call granddad because he's her second husband and he has a thing about it. And let's just put it out there. Uh, uh, Grace is is uh, black. Graham is white. And so I think that that's uh, I think I think that's part of um, uh, Ryan's issue, but it's never explicitly said. I didn't I didn't take it that way. Okay. Um I just took it as he's he's a, he was attached in some way emotionally to his biological grandfather and like a lot of kids when a when a parent or grandparent remarries they don't want to call the new person by a familial title like dad or granddad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's definitely a and contrast. Sometimes it takes time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes it takes time for that to develop. And I, I know, and there is that scene where Graham is obviously upset by it. But it's just it. So in, in I think we've all known people who their their parents have you yeah. know like one of their parents had died and the other parent remarries and they have a really hard time. Yeah. Having that relationship with the stepfather, the stepmother. Well, and and even if you get along fine, it's it's a different relationship. My mom died very unexpectedly and I wanted my father to remarry. He he ended up not doing so, but I wanted him to for, you know, because I thought it would be good for him. But even if he had remarried and even if he um, married a woman who I got along with totally well. I would hesitate to call her mom. Mm-hmm. You right. know, uh, that's someone else to me. 
I might like her, but I, I might even right. come to love her. But she's just not mom. It's certainly not right off the bat. So uh, Ryan is was one of the new companions. Graham is one of the companions. And so that's actually going obviously going to be an issue between them going forward, yeah. mm-hmm. especially given that uh, Grace you know, passes away at the end of this uh, uh, episode. And there's there's an in- interesting drama that they could play there because the doctor right. told Grace and Graham to stay out. Yes. And Graham did not stop her yep. from staying out. Right. And uh, Ryan may come to resent that at some point. Now, some some folks uh, on our Facebook page, I'm going to actually read some of our feedback uh, from our early feedback from our Facebook page yeah. at the end of this. But uh, but but I want to mention one right here in this at this point where he, he said, I worry that um, the men around the doctor are weak. So Grace is strong. Yasmin is strong. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about Yasmin at the doctor strong. But Ryan, you know, he he's weak. He can't ride a bike. Um, Graham, uh, lets Grace do the get, do the dangerous work. And climbs up the crane and and stuff, and 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 it doesn't hold her back from going in when she, when she should have. Uh, in some ways, it's a lot like Rory and Amy, in in, in that mm-hmm. sense, where Amy was so headstrong. Um, I, do you feel like the the men are portrayed as being weak? See, I I, I noticed some of that mostly with Graham. I mo- yeah. I noticed that mostly he was hesitant to really do anything at all. Yeah. I mean, really anything at all. About the only thing he volunteered to do is go talk to the bus drivers because that's what he was comfortable with. Um, Ryan, I don't I didn't see him as weak in the same way. You know, I don't didn't see him as, as a weak yeah. character because he was he seemed more the like an intellectual character because mm-hmm. he would make the comments. He asked questions. You know, there was at one point where he asked. I can't remember exactly what the questions were, but the doctor me goes, those are great questions, you know, and they were, right. they were questions that advanced the plot line. Yeah. And that's kind of more what I see him, at least in this, this one, even if he does have the the issue with his sense of balance, which by the way, he overcame to climb that the, the scaffolding to the. Right. Yeah. Crane. And for people who may not be aware, dyspraxia is a real condition and it's also untreatable. Um, the best you can kind of do is manage it. And so it's it's a legitimate handicap. And I, I didn't view that. I mean, I, I understand how you could look at that and say it makes him weak. But I think you could also look at it and say, but he's triumphing over a handicap because he's refusing to give into it by the end. Exactly. He may start off weak, but he has this galvanizing experience with his grandmother and right. that leads him to refuse to give in to it. So he's even right. though he continues to fail on the bicycle, he never gets it completely right. He's not giving up on that. And um, by the way, I like that that little bit at the end where you, you see him trying over and over again. And then they pull back and you see the doctor watching from afar, not interfering, not doing anything, but just sort of watching from afar. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. Sort of watching over him. What what I did think, though, was I, and this is part of what I alluded to, with they need to adjust, do some adjusting with the companions. Um, Graham, even though he the actor who plays him is is a comedian and is considered really good from what I understand. And from what I saw of his, he did a video appearance at Comic-Con this year, which stole the show. It was awesome. It was really funny. Um, but um, the way he's portrayed in this episode, he's not likable. I mean, no. he's okay, but he's not portrayed as likable the way the others are. In fact, like when he and Grace are on the train and she's being publicly affectionate with him, He's like resisting public show of affection. And yeah. it would have been so nice to have him reciprocate 
and have them be this cute couple and show them really enjoying each other's presence before all the drama starts. Right. See, and that's that's one thing I wonder, and I, I forgot to kind of mention this, is uh, my thought was, you know, what if Graham is going to have the most character development of the companions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what if, I mean, what if this this was intentional decision on their part? And now this is speculation, but that they're, that they're going to write, they've written his character so that Grace's death is going to impact him so profoundly that he's going to grow the strength. He's going to grow that, that personality that we really didn't see. I, I, sus- I, I suspect hope not. I hope they will. I mean, I should say. Yeah, I, I suspect you're right. And if so, they need, it's going to be interesting to see how they play it out because even, even if it's a second marriage and even if they only had three years together, your wife's death is going to hurt. Yeah. You know, as as someone who's you been through that, yeah. yeah, it's like, OK, I would now I might have to be focusing on other things if I'm suddenly teleported to an alien world and di- am dying in outer space. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoiler warning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I may have to focus on other things, but I'm going to be really hurting. Um, especially if it was a woman like this who I met later in life and she was my chemo nurse and literally gave me new life, you know, through the chemotherapy. And, and then I marry her and I'm thinking we're going to have years together. I'm in remission. I'm going to go before she is. And then wham, you know, he's going to have some serious healing to do. I think you begin to see some of that character growth in his eulogy at the end as Mm -hmm. well. Um, there's some, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then let's talk about Yasmin. I really like Yasmin. Um, I -hmm. think one of the things Doctor Who has done in the past few years is have strong female companions, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, according to some people, depending on who you talk to. Um, (laughs) I think uh, 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 Clara fans unite. Uh, I think Yasmin um, is actually I I like her. Uh, So she's a police officer. She's a a probationary police officer. She's her first two years. They're on uh, probationary. Uh, turns she wants to do more than uh, settle traffic disputes because um, they're real cutthroat in Sheffield when it comes to parking situations. Let me tell you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's almost notice, as bad as Boston. <laughs> notice though how she's displaying the characteristics of a good companion by I want to be challenged. I want something yes. more than what I'm doing right yes. now. Right, and uh, and so she ends up uh, with Ryan, who also shows the characteristics of a companion by touching things you're not supposed to touch. Yeah. <laughs> With yes. a big glowy circle I wrote, down. <laughs> I wrote this down as a note. Do not press floating yellow buttons. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> I, I love the bit where there where Ryan and this is good on, on Ryan's part where he like takes ownership of the okay, that was me, I screwed up. Right. And mm-hmm. and Graham and I think Grace are being a little, you know, critical of him. I mean, who would do that? And the doctor instantly raises her hand and says, Um, uh, I would have. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yes, yeah, that's the doctor. That's the <laughs> right so uh they he shows her the weird hershey kiss in the in the uh in the uh forest uh to oh, i thought of it as a gourd big blue gourd oh yeah, see, yeah. I, I thought it i thought it looked like if you have ever remember the nintendo game uh dragon warrior it looked like the slimes from those <laughs> oh i oh. never played it so that, i missed yeah, you that put one. some eyes on it look just like it <laughs> so um then uh we have the train we alluded to that the, the uh, scary tentacle thing because I mean, what goes what goes to the root of our primal fears more than 
scary tentacles in the dark. I mean, that's such a, a mm-hmm. great idea for a, a scary monster. Scary electrical tentacles in the dark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then, the, as you mentioned, the doctor comes crashing through the roof. I like the fact that they don't spend any time explaining how the doctor ended up in the train. We don't see the last two minutes of the regeneration. We don't see her falling out of the TARDIS. That's stuff that we've seen before in previous regenerations. This is, boom, we're supposed to remember uh, what happened or not care. And and just in case you didn't remember that this was the new Doctor, they throw that little tiny snippet of the the baseline from the theme. Yes, yes. They threw that in. There's the Doctor. Not enough to to my taste. We'll talk. maybe talk about the music a little later. But what we have here is, we've talked about this a lot, TARDIS separation. In fact, yeah. we don't see the TARDIS. The TARDIS at all doesn't in exist episode. in this episode. No. I mean, this we've thrown out everything from Doctor Who and, and to start fresh with this. There are no Daleks, no Cybermen, although I thought at first that Tim Shaw was a Cyberman. Uh there are no Daleks, <laughs> no Cybermen, no TARDIS. But we don't even have a sonic screwdriver till the second half. Um, this is right. starting yeah. from scratch. And uh, I had in my notes a couple of things. Not only do we have this long pre-doctor sequence. Before right. the doctor even shows up, but when there's so, and this is something I'm a, a little perplexed about because Graham is of this. There's no such thing as aliens. Yeah, and I was like, what? Since when has that been the case in the universe? I mean, that's that <laughs> well, bridge got crossed in back in 2005 at the latest. Right? Well, did, you he, know. did he say no such thing as aliens or no aliens in Sheffield? They kind no, of said he, no he aliens. Says he says I no he said such no aliens in Sheffield, but well, the, that might be Carl. Yeah, that that's later. The first thing he says is there's no such thing as aliens. Oh, okay. right. And um, and so I'm I'm like, are we back before 2005 when the aliens invaded London and it was undeniable to the whole world or what? Or, yeah. um, <laughs> they do seem to be using older mobile phones. Maybe. I don't know. No, no they're using a brand new. No. Yeah, Ryan's, phone so new Ryan's is new. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's is new. Um, so that's a little weird. But then what I noticed, like as soon as Ryan finds the big blue thing in the forest um, and he calls the police, they don't immediately go, oh, it's aliens. Let's call unit or Torchwood. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's part of the clean break that they're doing as a new jumping on point. They're not burdening us with having to learn about who unit or Torchwood are. Um, Later on, we have something similar where um oh where is it in my notes um i'll have to come back to it but they i noticed later on they had a similar thing where ordinarily up to now they would have invoked another common bit of the Doctor shadow Who proclamation lore. the sh- that was it the shadow yeah. proclamation when 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 mm-hmm. uh the when T- tim uh, shaw tim shaw says <laughs> Uh, that this planet, it, you know, is is allowed. There's no mention of the Shadow Proclamation. I noticed that. Um, there's also oddly no mention of nine 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 when they're on the, which is the British equivalent of nine one one. When they're on the train and the electrical scary tentacle thing shows up, why do Grace and and Graham call Ryan instead of nine nine nine? What's Ryan gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Is is Ryan just going to call nine nine nine? You could have cut well, out that step, which is what Ryan did when he found the the uh, the blue thing in the forest. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that um, that I noticed is well, first the doctor uh, or you know the thirteenth doctor 
has the regeneration banter down, like that regeneration madness. It's not over the top. It's it's right. some people have noted it's somewhat muted, which is yes. fine. Uh, I think it's better to have a little muted because of so many other changes. Better to keep it oh. kind of low low key. Yeah, they also they need to signal what her long-term personality is going to be like in this first episode because because of the audience sensitivity to that issue. Right. She needs to hit the ground more or less who she's going to be and, and not have an episode of just being crazy. Well, this is I, I saw a comparison, I think, again, on our Facebook page of to Pertwee's yes. generation episode where for the most part, you saw Pertwee's personality fairly quickly. Now, the difference was Pertwee spent the first episode in bed <laughs> looking for his shoes. Going unconscious. Um, <laughs> and then he took a shower and we got to see his snake tattoo from when yeah. he was in the Navy. Um, oh, wait, you know, we did it, that uh, with Jodie Whittaker, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you saw her snake tattoo from when she was in the yeah, Navy. Exactly. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, that was one thing I did like about this, as far as that's concerned, is she wasn't out of commission half the episode like David Tennant was. Right. Yeah. She was you know, like she out had of commission. a little nap for, yeah. you know, long enough for them to do their little separate things. And that was it. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't this, she's compl- constantly fainting and constantly sleeping. And, you know, it was just a little short time. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was not right at the beginning. Even she was, no. she no. was, she got up and it's like, I'm calling you Yaz because we were friends now. I love that line. That was great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and that that was uh, what you know, that 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 doctorless segment in the beginning was the equivalent of that regeneration separation uh, of that. And we're over that. And now we're moving on. But I, I think they gave us a hint at the doctor's personality that we're going to get, which is when she's at one point, she apologizes to everyone for what's happened to them. The mm-hmm. doctor never like well the twelfth doctor never apologized to anyone for anything. No, but um, you know, and Matt Smith, the eleventh doctor, was too running around too crazy to apologize for stuff. I mean, it's just uh, David Tennant, the tenth doctor. Well, he he, he I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry, I'm so so sorry. <laughs> he he overdid it. Yeah, yeah, he overdid. It. But I, but we, I think we're getting a little bit of the 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 smaller, more restrained doctor that that yeah. we talked about that we haven't seen in New it, Who. It's like, again, we mentioned the second Doctor, Patrick Trout, and also the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, mm-hmm. who was yeah. the other subdued human one. Right, right. Right. So we get to a point where we have uh, the Doctor has to make her new Sonic, um, where she the TARDIS doesn't just hand it to her like it has the past few Doctors. Uh, she has to. Now we now we know why from the we saw the the advanced pictures uh, the from the set of. It looks kind of organic and sort of makeshift. In fact, it is. Because it is. <laughs> she forges it out of spoons and not just any spoons, Sheffield spoons, which are, by the way, famous for those of you who aren't uh, up on your silverware. Sheffield spoons are known as, you know, it's sort of um, like in America, we have Oneida, New York, which mm-hmm. is known for its silverware. Well, the in the UK, yeah. it's Sheffield. Yeah, the flatware. Uh, it, it's so um, uh, so Sheffield steel and Sheffield spoons are, are famous of the doctor's. Uh, Sonic is made from such that in a piece of um, Tim Shaw's uh, uh, transport, transport pot. pot. Yeah, and that went by a little too fast. This was one of a couple of points in the episode where I thought they went just too fast and didn't explain enough what we, what we were seeing visually because I, I, I didn't initially twig to the fact that she got this crystal. They showed her grabbing this crystal, 
but I didn't twig to the fact it's from the ship, from the, mm-hmm. you know, space pod. Yeah. And I'm going, wait, where is she getting all this stuff? I mean, I can understand her forging some components based right. on 20th century technology, but you, no way you're building a whole Sonic out of that. At least not well, something that small, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And I, I actually missed it the first time. I actually I watched it twice because I watched half yeah. of it. Then my wife came home and I had to start again so that she could watch it with me. So yeah. I did they, see they, that it part literally, twice. It's like a like a two second scene where you see her grab one of those right. crystals and then it flashes to her doing the whole thing with the blowtorch and all that. I'm also wondering yeah. where she's downloading the operating systems from, both into Ryan's phone and into the Sonic. But, you know, we'll. we'll yeah. We'll, We'll go, we're back to science fantasy, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, she, At least it doesn't dominate the way it was dominating in Moffat. Right. Uh, she does say one thing that's interesting, and I think bears uh, from a from an American point of view needs a, a little bit of explanation. Um, she says uh, she calls it a a, a sonic Swiss Army knife, uh, but then yeah, she says without some, the knife. Yeah, she says that something that sounds strange to American ears. Only an idiot carries a knife, <clears throat> and. I think what she's she's speaking to a specific British uh, viewpoint in in the in the UK they don't have a gun problem so much they uh, like we do in the US sometimes they have a knife problem there's a rash right. of knife attacks and so people carrying knives is uh, sort of de- you know debated like sometimes we debate uh, uh, people carrying guns here uh, yeah if- which I'm like really un I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm unsympathetic to I mean this is just me. <laughs> But based on a variety of factors, I'm I'm very unpersuaded by gun control arguments. Right. Mm-hmm. I am even <laughs> even more unpersuaded by knife control arguments. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm 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 along Jimmy's Jimmy's line. I can, I can guarantee you if you came through Malta, Montana right now, you came through here and you interviewed 100 people. At least 75 of those people, 75%, if not more, have at least a basic folding pocket knife. Yeah. yeah. Some have Bowie knives. Some have, you know. Yeah. I, I grew up carrying pocket knives. You know, right. Because you know, because half the most of the people in this area, they work with their hands and they're right. doing things like, say, cutting bailing wire or bailing, uh, <laughs> yeah, bailing string and things like that, where having a good pocket knife is essential. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, that that one I heard right there, it's like, you know, that's just no, this this is well, this is the one point where I kind of like, OK, this was PC. This was the PC yeah. comment for the episode. Well, that's why I wanted to mention for like for an American audience, it sounds ridiculous. But from a British point of view, it it connects with something that's contemporary in their in their public. Right. Yeah. So and um, you know, you know what you wouldn't have you wouldn't have all those knife attack problems if people could carry guns. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because as Sean Connery tells us, uh, only an idiot brings a, a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so moving on to the to the the next thing is uh we have this alien race. So this is the, the at the heart of this is we have this alien race that comes to Earth and as part of their um leadership ritual they dispatch a warrior to hunt um a random uh chosen at random uh individual from earth in sheffield apparently because they've been there twice i'm not sure why uh but that's where they go apparently other planets too but they have been to sheffield twice yes and uh it's it's reminiscent of the the predator you know schwarzenegger predator um, a little bit reminiscence of Star Trek Voyagers, Herogen, so, mm-hmm. so this warrior hunter race. Uh, I mean, 
it's it's not the most original idea, but it's pretty original for for uh, Doctor Who. I like the I, fact that it's a small villain with a small that presents a small problem to the Doctor, which is one person who's in mm-hmm. danger and people in 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 um in um collateral danger collateral damage yeah yeah but in general it's not about the planet or the galaxy or the universe yeah it's it's not like he planted a a, you know a global thermonuclear bomb in the middle of sheffield and it's the entire world is going to turn into a big crater if they don't do what he wants right and like in the 11th hour we had the atraxi threatening to kill everyone on earth unless prisoner zero was caught (laughs) right or you know you have you have previous because the first thing i thought when we saw these two alien things is exactly Exactly what the doctor thought, which is two alien races at war using Earth as a battleground. We've seen that with like the Santarans and the Rutans. And I thought, okay, well, that's plausible given what they've shown us. I like the fact that they subverted that expectation and showed us something different and that it was much more small stakes. That's those are good things to me. Uh, And also another uh, Jimmy Akin favorite, the really good body horror uh, of the taking the tooth and implanting it in his face as a trophy. I yeah, that, that, that was freaky. That so, was wild. I, I know Father Corey saw it this morning on Facebook. I put, uh, my, my son lost his tooth, uh, his, his baby teeth. <laughs> so I picked it up and I said, I have my Halloween costume. And I put it against my cheek and said, I'm Tim Shaw. by by the way talking about pc stuff in this episode there are a couple of remarkably non-pc things in it um one of them is uh and they're both connected with our villain this time um because his actual name and this is confirmed if you watch it with the subtitles on but his actual name is sim shop so yep. T-Z-I-M hyphen S-H-A, Sim Shah. Right. And he's presenting himself as this big thing, you know, tell your descendants that you once had the chance to meet Tim Shaw. And the doctor can't quite hear him right and keeps calling him Tim Shaw, you know, a human <laughs> right, name. Right. And I th- that's hilarious. But the thing is, if you think about it from a PCSJW perspective, it's like, oh, <gasps> You're other culturing this guy. You're mispronouncing yes. his name and using an English language equivalent to his native precious name. And it's like, come on, everybody mishears names from other languages. It's right. not a big and deal. You the look other at, thing, you look at IMDb, it's actually listed as Tim Shaw. <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. the the other thing, in addition to it imposing, you know, English culture on his name, she also calls him a big blue cheat. <laughs> which means she's referring to two aspects of his physical character. He's big and blue. <laughs> How dare you? In fact, she calls him a big fat fake, too. I mean, there's some body shaming going on there. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of uh, like kind of now, making now fun of his... some of our audience. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, speaking of the accents... For the, for the record, I have no problem if someone who speaks a different language doesn't hear Jimmy Aiken correctly and yeah. calls me something similar to that. I also have no problem if someone refers to me as, you know, uh, as, as you know, big and pink or big and hairy <laughs> or whatever you want. Yeah. Just don't call me a cheat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and I, I'm on I, the I, record I, as having trouble saying people's, uh, pronouncing people's names the way they wanted yeah. to as with our good friend from uh, Secrets of Movies and TV shows, Thomas Sanjurjo. Uh I have called him some <laughs> Thomas Sanjurjo, Sanjurjo, 
uh, but it's Sanherho as and well, and, I, and I tried to get it right. So with last names with, that people mispronounce all the time too. So you know, I've, I've been called Sticka and Stitcha. So <laughs> eh, whatever. I was going to say with Aiken, I've heard all kinds of variants. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but speaking of accents, uh, well, that's one thing that's actually come up is um, not only does the is is Jody Whitaker using her native. Um, uh, what's Yorkshire accent, which is mm-hmm. it's a northern accent close to Scotland. So it's a it's a little tougher for American ears to get. But all of these characters, Ryan, Yasmin and uh, uh, Ryan and Yasmin both have Sheffield, which is that area as well, that northern area mm-hmm. uh, accents. And Graham has a bit of Cockney thrown in there. Uh, and I've heard from uh, that, that, that a number of Americans who had to turn on subtitles to understand some of what's going on <laughs> in this episode. Uh, well, I, so- I liked I like Donna Noble came out. Oi. Yes. Yeah. That was great. Doctor Kelta go oi oi. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, Ace would do oi too. Yep. <laughs> right. Back right. in classic Who. So um, so that yeah. So we got this interesting alien, uh, Tim Tim Shaw. I will say his name correctly now. Um, <laughs> and and so he's hunting this poor guy Carl from the train. Uh, which we had this great moment where Carl is up in this in the cab of his train, um, is starting his his night job, his night shift. And he's got this audio book, you know, this of affirmations, oh, affirmations. I, I love am valued. That. Somebody out there wants me. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I love no. I love the bit where, you know, after he's been captured by Tim Shaw um, and Tim Shaw is saying how unimportant he is. He's like he comes back with one of the affirmations. Hey, I'm important. Yeah, <laughs> that was I, great. Yeah. <laughs> so. um and then we also have this actually other moment in this in this uh, crane yard where we have this really nice moment where we have this security guard who is unimportant to the story, really. I mean, he's just there. He's about to die. Um, but we get this this moment, this sweet moment where he's saying goodnight to his granddaughter via FaceTime or Skype. And uh, it really, <laughs> it really humanizes him. It, it gives yeah. him a great character moment. But to, so we care about him. When we then find at the time we find out he's he's he, that he's been killed by Tim Shaw. Right. It, yep. it gives that moment some emotional resonance uh, that we mm-hmm. might not have gotten otherwise, which contrasts it to a drunk guy in the alley with the kebab and throwing a salad at him. Who, who that, <laughs> yeah, that, that was weird. I mean, I, I was watching that scene and it wasn't obvious to me that the guy was necessarily drunk because I thought maybe there's some kind of alien influence going on here the way mm-hmm. they'd. Just staggering, Set it up at that slurring. Point. Yeah, and I thought, is there some weird Sheffieldian salad throwing ritual? Or I mean, if I met, <laughs> if I met some big, huge, hulking biker dude in in you know black leather at night and a big nasty, menacing helmet on, I'm not going to throw pickles at him. <laughs> right. It it seemed a strange sort of pointless interlude. It's just sort of wasted time. It didn't advance the plot any. We know yeah. that Tim Shaw is is ruthless and a killer. And and nothing ever happens as a result of it. It's just that was a weird misstep in this in this episode. I felt like. yeah, it was yeah. It just it kind of felt like a, a filler scene that they decided for whatever need, reason they needed to keep in it. They needed an extra thirty seconds to fill out the the the, the show at the end or something. Yeah, because uh, there was there was no mention of the actual nowhere. None of, none of the companions, the doctor. You don't see the police talking about it. It's just it was there and it was gone. Yeah, it's I mean it's completely irrelevant to the rest of the story, which is uh, weird. So um, then the doctor, uh, I like the, the moment where, they, you know, like what, when they're in the, the crane yard and they're, they're going to take out 
Tim Shaw and save Carl and they and, and Yaz and, and Ryan, you know, what are we doing? She says, don't worry, I got a plan. Well, I will have a plan by the time I get up there, which I feel like is the doctor in a nutshell. You know that I don't worry. Like several times we get this. Hey, I'm working on a plan. Just be quiet for five minutes while I figure it out. Um, and that's sort of yeah. the, like the doctor on on a you know on the off the cuff there. Yeah. Um, I did like how Ryan Google's how to operate a crane. Uh, yeah, that was good. There. It was, and that's it's actually a nice reference um, because it feels authentic to the audience that we're obviously we're trying to get a younger new audience interested in Doctor Who, and that's that would be authentic. Um, another authentic moment was uh, you know so the Doctor is doing her talking down uh, Tim Shaw. You just get the 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 standoff with him uh, with the recall device and. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And now, by the way, about that recall device, mm -hmm. early on, before we even know what it is, but when Ryan at the beginning of the episode is at the for is in the forest and he, he, he touches the glowing yellow light button, we then see the, the red recall device in his hand and we don't know what it is. And then later, the doctor says to Tim Shaw that she took it off of the pod that he was in. And it's right. like, wait, but we saw that thing in Ryan's hand. So it looks to me like there's some kind of editing glitch yeah. that happened where they changed some of the dialogue after they had this partly yeah. filmed. Because they, 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 they did. She did point to it in the opened pod and say, that's, you know, that's the recall device. That's how he gets home. There was sure? a scene where he, she did that. Are we sure? Yeah, but so it was the scene where Ryan kind of reels back from the, the, yes. the, 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 the pod. And there's sort of a flare of light. Are we sure it wasn't his phone in his hand? I I thought it was the the. See, I, the didn't, I don't thing. remember seeing the. I don't remember seeing the recall pod. I remember him pulling out his phone and calling nine nine nine, calling the cops. Yeah, uh, well, I have to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, another thing that happens here that is in character for the doctor is when, just as the doctor has sort of uh, bested Sim Shaw. Uh, Carl kicks Simshaw off the crane, uh, apparently to his death, except he activates the recall mm -hmm. pod in time. But uh, the doctor gets mad at Carl. You didn't have to do right. that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of a, you know, you don't have to, you didn't have to try to kill the guy. We were already right. winning. Now, there is well, there's an annoyance in this scene. Sorry, go ahead, Jimmy. Cause I get well, kind of we're winning. I mean, she, she makes this point that, she makes this point that you're going to just keep doing this if I don't stop you and right. to other people. And she doesn't stop them. And I'm wondering, OK, so that's kind of a major thing they've left hanging now. Are they going to come back to this race later in the season and she's going to stop them from this hunting ritual? Or mm -hmm. is that just going to be dropped? Because by setting that as the goal, you guys yeah. are going to keep doing this if I don't stop you. You've just implicitly promised the audience that you're going to stop them. Right. That's true. Now, there's there's an annoyance in this scene because um, she said, you know, that he, you know, he had his little neck button ready to go to release the DNA bombs and he does it. And of course, he starts melting down. Right. And right. She says, oh, I, I took the I took them off and I put them back in the the data device, the the tank, the tentacles, forgetting, the yeah. tentacle thingy. And. This is an annoyance that Doctor Who is bad about, but a lot of shows do where they don't give you enough information during the episode 
to the big climax at the end of the episode. You know, a good a good detective story, a good mystery gives you the hints during the story. Right. So as you're listening to the story, you're reading the story, you can you can solve the crime about the same time they do in the book. Doctor Who's horrible for this, where at no point does she say anything like, you know, there, now I've removed the DNA bombs. They, you know, right. got him out of there. They're, I put him back in this device um, or, you know, he'll have a nasty surprise if he set, tries to set them off. Something like yeah. that says nothing like that. The, the bigger the bigger thing to me is the sh- they don't tell us she's uh, that she's put them in the gathering coil. Right. I could I could accept they're holding back that she's removed them. Because they've covered that before, that she needs to remove them. We don't know when they're going to go off. She says, just wait till right. I get my sonic built and so forth. And then I could understand it. Okay, she, the alien presses the button to detonate them, and whoops, they don't detonate. Guess what? I took them all out. What, do you think I'm stupid? That would be fine. But then using them, putting them into the gathering coil so that they can, so that he can absorb them through total transference which I thought is was a bad line at the time yep. that she uttered it because it, they ask, what is he doing? Well, obviously, he's uploading data from the gathering coil. Right. But yeah. you've used this total transference thing. You don't need <laughs> that adjective there. That's just hyping the drama. And then it turns out it's not only hyping the drama as a clunky line. It's also right. masking the fact he's absorbing physical objects through this. Right. Data transfer that right. just makes no sense. So I I thought that was flawed. Well, and then that also ma- then makes her anger at Carl for kicking him off the crane not make sense because it, she planted the bomb in him. <laughs> He's got yeah. a DNA bomb going off that's killing him. Why is she mad for him kicking him off? So yeah, yeah that exactly. is true. I mean, maybe by, we've by missed the- something, but I don't know. Well, and I think it I, I yeah, I don't think we have on this one. Yeah. By the way, while we were talking, I, I looked up the image where Ryan is backing away and based on previous and surrounding shots, it does look like it's his phone. But in mm-hmm. the shot itself, where he's irradiated by the light from it, it looks like a red crystal. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on yeah. there. It, it, it does look weird. Like that, yeah. yeah. So. um Let's get to the to the to the the real um, emotional heart of the episode. And that's where we have a real death, real consequences for the characters. Um, in, in fact, yeah. in this episode, and, and not, almost not not just not just the initial deaths of the random person who gets killed to illustrate the threat. Right. right. Well, in fact, almost every death in this mattered. Each one had pathos. Even the even the train driver who died. I mean, they they there was a oh she, you know she her. She was killed by fright. I mean, it was it was it was fairly quick, but there was still a bit of um, pathos for her. The only one who really got left, looked over, you know, left uh, left off of the pathos salad man was salad guy. Yeah. Um, but when you know, with Grace dies, it that is obviously going to be an emotional resonance that's going to carry through these companions into the mm-hmm. future, um, and that is a big difference from especially the last few seasons of Stephen Moffat's reign. I mean, I, I, we're going to be comparing Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who to Christian was Doctor Who for a while, so just we have to get used to that, folks. But in, but in Stephen fairness, Moffat didn't want to kill anybody. <laughs> well, in fairness, I think Stephen Moffat would kill minor one-off characters to prove right. the threat. He would right. do that. What he didn't want to do was kill off anyone who was 
you know, part of the central cast. Right. And you could argue that Grace is kind of, I mean, she's functioning as a companion. She hasn't been established as a companion the way the others become. Right. But she's on, she's, she's certainly on the edge in a, of the central cast in a way the, the, the red shirts aren't. She's not yes. a red shirt. Yes. Right. In fact, I mean, if, 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 if anything, she's much more central than Graham is uh, at, at this point. Yes. Um, so, sort of looking in, in retrospect on the sh on the episode, then, um, I, but what I want to say is, I don't feel like any of the companions were flat. I felt like they were pretty well fleshed out. Uh, all of them, they all had character. There was all something mm -hmm. interesting about each one of them. Um, I felt like the Doctor's regeneration madness was more muted than we'd seen previously, um, and needed to be. Yep. Um, I think no lines about kidneys. No lines about <laughs> not being a. We got a you know, tongue ginger. line. Yeah, the tongue. Well, well she yeah. just couldn't remember the word of it. Yeah, and then she talked a little about, you know, things fizzing inside, you know, as they regenerate. And she kind of described what regeneration is like. I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, just at the moment you think you're yeah. going to die, you're born. You know, that, <clears throat> that's a kind of interesting explanation. Um, and also feeling torn between what you were and what you're becoming. Yeah, yeah, those were, that was an interesting uh, explanation. Um, <clears throat> like I said, the stakes were small. That was good. It was a, a, a somewhat small story. Um, we do know, we've been told, there will not be a season-long story arc. Each episode will be self-contained. There will be there will be ongoing character development, but the plot itself will be contained to each story. Um, mm. And we will not have any of the familiar villains. No Master, right. no Daleks, no Cybermen. Um, all new things. Um, these are all things that we talked about in our advice for Chris Jimnall. Uh, so it sounds like he's taking our advice. Um, we're also getting some different times. We're going to there at one point, uh, we got a hint that they're going to end up in 1950s America. Uh, I'm worried and, about that one. Yeah, that yeah. is a little worrying. Uh, they're going to hook up with Rosa Parks. Um, at least it's different. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's yeah. it's it's a different setting. So we got that. We get that. Um, we'll have to see how it comes off. Otherwise, um, just in other a couple other things that that I was mention is. Um, I weren't. I wasn't excited about the soundtrack and the music. Um, they have uh, this new guy doing it, and um, his name's Akinola. And it feels like, like a couple times they started into the the Doctor Who theme, and then it just abruptly stopped. Um, nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, Segun Akinola is his name, and I just I was none of the music really excited. So, mm -hmm. uh, any any bit. Um, one one thing I liked. Um is we have the accidental companions again. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. how yeah. many companions were the awkward doctor awkwardly asking him out on a date to go travel with him? <laughs> right. Oh, you could maybe kind of come travel with me. I don't know. These are companions that because the doctor messed up on the, the transport device, ended up beaming them all into space instead of just him <laughs> right. or her. And, and um, without kidnapping this time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So this was, these are accidental companions. That That's, that's a very classic who thing. Um, one thing, you know, we talked we had talked about in our, our our advice to Chris Chibnall and we've been upset about for a while is the doctor is my boyfriend slash girlfriend. I honestly wonder if the love interest, the romantic interest will be Ryan and Yaz. I wonder if they're going to develop mm -hmm. kind of a relationship there. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's and that would be interesting to see uh, if that happens. I like the way they redid uh, 
Peter Capaldi's outfit to fit or to not fit Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's a I, I look, looked up their heights. Peter Capaldi is six foot tall. Jodie Whittaker is just under five, six. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. a good six inches of difference. And you can see that it looks like she's swimming in these clothes. Uh, it, it could possibly have been the same costume. I mean, it was very. Yeah, they just yeah. kind of tore it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's other than being torn up. It actually looks good on her. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that was that was kind of interesting. Uh, and then one thing I just kind of noticed in the scene when they're in the, the that uh, car mechanic shop there where the, the transport pod had been taken, Yaz and Ryan are walking around. And I don't know if you noticed this, Dom, since I know you're a Mac fan, but there's a uh, G3 iMac, a blueberry one that was sitting up on the top of all the all the electronic stuff there. Oh, I did miss it. I have to go back and check because I, yeah, I it's did like notice right before they saw yeah. the newspaper clippings and everything. Oh, OK, uh, what I did see was uh, uh, I think it was it was Asher, uh, his um, really awful PC that was like this 19 uh, mm-hmm. or his 2004 era uh, Windows PC that he was uh, left yep. his uh, if I die video on. Um, yep. That's funny. I'm, well, I'm sorry that you saw it and I didn't. Now I feel bad. <laughs> so I have to go back and watch. Mac, yeah. And I have to go back and watch it. Um, any, so, any stuff that you want to mention, Jimmy? Yeah, I, I liked how this was fast moving. Um, it was faster moving than the 11th hour. Um, and it was more coherent than, um, than Peter Capaldi's first episode. Um, I think they did the doctor's character well. I think they do need to tweak some with the, uh, companions, in terms of the preachiness quotient of this, you know, there's a little bit of it. I can talk, I can deal with a little bit of it. One thing that I was concerned about was, is there going to be a lot of sexism is bad preachiness? It's like, yes, we know sexism is bad. And there wasn't. I was, I was yeah. pleased by that. The thing I'm a little more concerned about at this point, though, <clears throat> is are we going to have to deal with a lot of racism is bad preachiness? Because we've got this Rosa Parks thing coming up and just looking at the dynamics, I mean, and knowing that it's hard not to say, okay, what are we seeing on screen? And even if you discount the fact that, of course, Ryan's family is going to be largely black except for Graham, um, the demographics that we're seeing in this episode do not look like the demographics of Sheffield. Um, we're seeing way more multicultural, multiracial people. I mean, if you, according to Wikipedia, Sheffield is 84% white and that's not what we're seeing here. And knowing the Rosa Parks thing is coming up, you know, I, I totally agree. Racism is bad. Let's all be colorblind about it, including the show. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so uh, so I, it's just a concern I'm, I'm kind of, you know, have that's still hanging out there. We'll see what they do. So far, I like this episode, except for minor things. Uh, one minor thing that I didn't mention is if, uh, Tim Shaw's skin is really so cold, it will freeze a person to death on contact. His skin should have been like steaming right in mm-hmm. our atmosphere every time he uncovered it and it wasn't. Um, also, and this is a bigger criticism. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier, I thought that they, some things went by too quickly, um, and they didn't explain enough. And one of the things they didn't explain enough is what are Grace and Graham doing? 
Um, it was not clear to me what exactly their plan was. We saw them running around, grabbing equipment and things. And um, they eventually, it becomes clear that the the gathering coil, and this kind of went by fast in a line of dialogue, the gathering coil is apparently trying to melt the, ta- the crane tower or mm. something to bring it down. Why? I am not sure. Uh, but then that's what they're trying to do is stop the gathering coil by stunning it electrically. And I, I didn't know. I was asking myself, what are they trying to do here? Finally, when they do it, it becomes obvious. They want to stun the gathering coil so it can't melt the tower. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I thought this was not set up well. And consequently, Grace's sacrifice comes across to me cheapened. Because it's not obvious to me why she's doing what she's doing. It's not like they're showing us the crane tower is starting to sway or bend because mm-hmm. of what the gathering coil's doing. It looks kind of pointless. It looks like she could have stayed on the ground and everything would have been fine. Well, there is a there is a quick line where she says it's attacking the, the crane that, right. that Ryan and Yaz are on. Yeah, she's it, but like I said, it goes by it really goes fast in dialogue. Yeah. They needed to set it up more and they needed to make the threat more credible because it just looks like it's sparking up there. It doesn't look like it's doing anything well, to the structure. Another um, another moment that sort of needed a little explanation is at the very beginning. Why are Graham and Grace leaving Ryan in the woods at night while they're taking the last train back to town? From the yeah. like, how's Ryan getting home? Because he can't ride his bike. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it was very like it, it's a it's a loose end. It's it, it, a, a a very bad plot. Uh, you, you could say um, he lives right outside the park or something. Yeah, except so he, he doesn't. Yeah, it possibly doesn't need to take a train. Yeah, he lives in that attic that that we had from the. Uh, uh, what was the Love and uh, Monsters? Love and Monsters. <laughs> it looked like it. It looked like the same set. Yeah. So I want to take a moment to kind of uh, give some of early feedback that we got from uh, yeah. listeners on oh, our Facebook page, the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Um, it's been great. Uh, I, I asked po- folks to give their feedback last night. So Rick Angelini says, didn't love it, didn't hate it. It's a transition period where we're all going to need to settle in with the new characters. Okay. Uh, Marion Luther said she felt like it, it's more of a spinoff than Doctor Who. Not as good as Sarah Jane Adventures, but better than class. It's fair. Okay. I mean, it's. That's uh, I I think we all liked a little better than that, but that's a yeah. fair assessment. Uh, to bus non disputant domest. Exactly. Uh, don't let the vultures wear you down. No, it was something like that. Uh, Eric <laughs> Nanaman says uh, hard to express much of an opinion about Jody's portrayal of the Doctor as it was pretty muted. He felt like it was muted. Uh, I really liked Yaz. We we see that she's struggling to prove herself in a male dominated police force as well as the internal conflict as to whether she should follow procedure knowing that they'll scoff at her for reporting an alien or push deeper. I don't feel I, like I, it was about, about a male dominated police. Force. I didn't get that either. I, mm. I thought she's the reason she's having to prove herself is because she's, she's on, she's a, she's a new person. She's, she's on probation. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not that she's a woman. She's just new to the force. She's not yet fully qualified. Yeah. That's what I felt like too. Yeah. Um, Fred Firestein says, uh, I watched this afternoon. I'll rewatch it tonight. It reminded me of John Pertwee's first episode. We referred to that. No mm-hmm. TARDIS, the regeneration confusion, and he had to adjust to a big change, too, because it was in color. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world suddenly had color instead of just black and white. That'd be exactly. a big shock for anybody. Right. Uh, Melanie, somebody or other, says, uh, okay, my wife, she says, I felt like yeah. uh, 
Jodie had done her homework and owned the doctor. Uh, there was enough continuity to make her believably the same character. And yet so far, I like how she's feeling into being her own sort of doctor. Okay. Uh, we won't say anything bad about that comment uh, because I want to sleep on my bed and not on the couch tonight. Uh, Rob, well, that just means you don't get to say anything bad about yeah, it. If you guys want to say anything bad, I can always cut I have, it out. I have nothing bad to say. No. <laughs> so uh, Rob Cox, he says, better than I expected. Glad this was a more intimate alien, not bent on destroying the universe. That uh, something said. Yes. Uh, Brian Roberts says, I absolutely loved it, not just for the Doctor Who-ness of it, but living in Sheffield, it's rare to he hear Sheffield accents on TV. Um, I'll have to rewatch it again tomorrow as while well, watching it tonight. Me and my family spent most of the time shouting out locations we knew. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. uh, Brian, I do the same thing with anything said in Boston. You know, it's just the thing. Um, in terms of the character, I really hope they keep the it'll be all right winging it part of her doctor. Mm -hmm. I, I like that part. Um, that, but, that's a plausible catchphrase for her. Yeah. That could work. It'll, it'll be, be all right. Yep. Uh, and Phyllis Cowles, uh, she also said didn't love it, didn't hate it. Um, the, cost, the final costume choice really does look very similar to the one Robin Williams wore in Mork for Mork, as Jimmy said in a previous podcast. Not a fan of the costume myself. Yeah, me either. No, no. And it's, I think part of it is they want to make it look completely alien. I mean, just completely out there also, that she has absolutely no clue what, you know, human dress would, should look like. But it also uh, it avoids the problem of sexy doctor. And I hate to bring yeah. that into it, but, but that oh, whole like well, the, the yeah. sex appeal of a female doctor, it, it avoids that altogether. And it, it's just a woman. In regular clothes. Well, I wouldn't call those regular clothes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, right. I, but not the, I, not the but sexy outfit. They they certainly have. I mean, Dr. Wardrobes tend to, to be either conservative or zany in yeah. some way. And, and we just had more or less conservative. So this is zany. Yeah. I mean, we had, so, I mean, even Matt Smith with the, the bow tie and the suspenders was still pretty conservative i mean we really haven't yeah. had anything zany from any of the doctors since uh classic and we and we right. did get this scene of nope nope not that one that's yeah. not gonna you know or she's throwing right. about the about the dressing room there <laughs> right so uh so that's the our early feedback of course we love to get feedback from our listeners um which you can send to dr who at sqpn.com um you can uh send us uh email you can send us an audio file we'd love to play that you can leave mm -hmm. comments, like I said, at our Facebook page, Secrets of Doctor Who uh, Facebook page, or the sqpn.com page. Um, uh, before I finish uh, here, guys, do, any last comments, Jimmy? Anything uh, left to say on this? No, I, I enjoyed it, and, uh, and I hope that they keep going and uh, build from here. Father Corey? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a very strong start, a very hopeful start for the new new season. And if, if they avoid the pitfalls that we we encourage them not to <laughs> fall into, right. um, it'll be a, it'll be a very it'll probably it could be one of the better seasons of that, New Who. That's that's hopeful. Uh, as long as there are no dinosaurs on spaceships. So uh, so, folks, like I said at the top, if you could share this uh, podcast with others, uh, other people who, who are Doctor Who fans or just getting into it. Help us grow our audience, reach new people. Um, I bet they, lots of people would be interested to, to have a, a good discussion about this as we begin a new season. Um, you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode in this season titled 
the ghost monument. And we'll find out whether they survive being in space. Hint, they do. <laughs> yeah, that would be my guess. I also have a guess about what the ghost monument's going to turn out to be. This is just a guess. Okay. But maybe it's the TARDIS because it, the TARDIS can vanish and reappear like a ghost. Oh, and, and some Ooh. primitive species will think of it as a ghost monument. Maybe. Uh, so until then, we can figure out whether Jimmy is right or not. Until then, Father Corey Sneaker, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, all of this is new to you, and new can be scary. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those... 